0: Well, good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day to all the mommies in the house, all the mommies watching us online. I trust you are having a wonderful day, that you will have a great day and be spoiled. Amen. We'll do our best here in church to spoil you too, okay? So just hanging there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we are taking a little break from our regular series that we've been doing. Well, oh, God love me. If we, we're taking a little pause for today, we'll pick up next week. And today we are doing this uh, two-part series. We're starting today, Parenthood. Okay, so two-part series. Part one will be today. Part two on Father's Day. We're looking at motherhood and fatherhood. And today, part one, it is motherhood. All right. Every year we set two days to recognize mothers and fathers and their influence in our lives. But of course, as you know, motherhood and fatherhood are 24-7, 365 days a year occupations. You don't do it when you feel like it or when you have some time available for it. So you do it all the time. It's, uh, and so in this two-part series, we focus on some of the struggles that mothers face and we aim to encourage mothers and fathers in this series to continue relentlessly with tenacity and faith in this god-given calling which is parenthood and which in which sometimes we feel like man we're not quite getting there you know it's amazing that um, if you've been a parent long enough. Sometimes you'll feel like you you failed somewhere. It's a common feeling amongst parents. But today on Mother's Day, we'll focus on mothers. And, you know, as you know, parenthood is not easy. It's not an easy thing to be a parent. But it's one of the greatest privileges we get to have as humans. First of all, we get to generate new lives. And then we get to nurture these brand new lives that come to us like an open book, a blank page. And we get to nurture these new lives. We get the privilege of shaping this new life and pointing it in the right direction in life. We also, as Christians, get to show them the the love of the Lord and help them connect with Jesus as their own Lord and Savior. Parenthood is both a privilege and a challenge, amen? All right? It's a privilege and a challenge. It's a privilege because you get to nurture life and connect them with Jesus. And it's a challenge because you generate life and you get to connect them with Jesus. Now, how can the same thing be both a challenge and a privilege? Well, if you've been a parent for any length of time, you'll understand what I mean. It is not always the easiest thing. All right? Now, First of all, why is that? Because no child comes with their own handbook. Have you noticed? All right. No child comes with a handbook. You, we, we, we go into this wrong. You know, we kind of look at other people. We pick up things along the line. But each child is an individual case. And so your child comes along and it, it is no handbook. And of course, number two, every lesson you learn with your first child will not necessarily apply to all the children that come afterwards. Because each one is unique. And so parenting is a challenge. Now, of course, this message is not on how to parent, okay? This is not a a parenting seminar or or a guide to teach you how to uh, nurture a child at different stages of their life. This message is about you, the parent, and the challenges you face while parenting. While we love celebrating Mother's Day... For some people, it can be a difficult time. There are people who will not go to church or even watch uh, online on Mother's Day. There may be mothers in waiting in the audience, women who have experienced infertility or miscarriages, or who are still praying to God to bless them with a godly husband and family, or or, and so on. There may be a grieving, they may be grieving the loss of a mother or the loss of a child. For some, Today, maybe the first Mother's Day, they're not going to have their mommies with them or that child with them. Mother's Day, as you know it today, is not a religious nor Christian celebration, although it was started by a Christian. However, it is right to take some time to honor our mothers and fathers. Family is a big part of the Christian faith. And you've heard around here that church is... Family, amen. Church is family. The Bible places a high premium on the family. Large portions of scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, talk about how we are to be as families. Families, also, the primary image using scripture to describe the people of God. God chose a family, the family of Abraham, to be his people and to work through them to redeem the world. That family became a nation, and from that nation, Christ was born. And and through Christ, we as the church are grafted into Abraham's family. Now, think of the language. Think of the language the Scriptures use to describe the church. First of all, God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters. Jesus is our elder brother. Paul said in Ephesians uh, 3 that he bowed his knees to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Uh, John says in the Gospel of John chapter 1 that those who believe in the name of Jesus, to them God gave them the right to become children of God. And of course, the church is called the Bride of Christ. So the Bible uses many family pictures to describe our relationship with God and with one another. But of course, of all the family words used, there's probably no word like mother, eh? like mommy. It seems to be a universal sentiment that most, not all, but most children and even adults get along better with their mothers than with their fathers. In the weeks leading up to Mother's Day, we're surrounded by flowery cards filled with uh, sentimental rhymes about how wonderful our mothers are. Of course, in church, ladies are often pointed to that marvelous lady in Proverbs 31. You know, uh, the one that gets up early and stays up late and somehow manages to perfectly balance self-care, motherhood, and a career, plus keep her husband satisfied. Come on, ladies, just reading that chapter makes you tired, right? Where on earth did that woman live? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> now, of course, for many women, that kind of, of ideal is nothing like their real lives. And, and that, that, that disconnect leaves many women feeling broken, hopeless, and, and like failures. Yet the Bible also reveals Many mothers who, in spite of hard times and challenges, remained faithful to God. They were not perfect, but they remained faithful to God in their callings and to their families. So how does God look at a mom who doesn't have everything perfectly in place, who doesn't seem to have all the right things in the right places? What is God's heart towards the mothers who are praying for children who have walked away from the faith? Does God hear the moms who are grieving children taken from life too soon? Or the women who long to be mothers but whose time has not yet come? The answer is this. God sees them as His precious daughters. And He loves them just as much as He does the mothers who have everything in place or seem to have everything under control. At least that's externally, it seems that way. As we look through Scripture we find examples of mothers who are exalted. We know, of course, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and, and Timothy's mother and grandmother. We all know the challenges, the shame, and the pain that Mary went, and that she had to endure to be the mother of Jesus. But Jesus himself made sure that his mother would be taken good care of when he departed. And then concerning Timothy's mother and grandmother, uh, the Apostle Paul had this to say in Second Timothy 1:5. He says, "I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Louis and your mother, Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you." You see, Timothy became the man he became, because of the faith of his grandmother and his mother. Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Both his mother and grandmother had converted to Christianity and had done an excellent job of bringing Timothy up in the ways of the Lord. When Paul and Silas arrived in Lystra, where uh, Timothy lived, they found this young man well-grounded in the ways of the Lord due to the teaching of his mother and grandmother. And Timothy became Paul's traveling companion, and later on, a church leader. We also find examples of mothers with struggles, like Sarah and Elizabeth, mothers who longed for children well into their golden years before their prayers were answered. Remember that in ancient times, in the olden days, to be barren was a shame, possibly even the sign of a curse. Not to have children was a shame. It carried a social stigma with it. And it seems that these two women, like many others of that time, had accepted their faith and, and made peace with the fact that they would not have children. They continued to love, God, to, to love God and to serve God, but they lived under this cloud of shame. But for these two, God had other plans. And they, at, at their old age... God opened their wombs, only God, eh, and brought into the world two men with a divine purpose at an appointed time in history. Isaac, born to Sarah, and John the Baptist, born to Elizabeth. We also see stories of mothers doing whatever they can, whatever they could, to keep their children alive in the midst of tyrannical decrees and during famines. The mother of Moses is an example. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, we read that Pharaoh wanted to decrease the number of Hebrews in Egypt. So he ordered the killing of baby boys. But the mother of Moses took a chance, kept her baby for three months, and then placed him in a basket and let it float past the daughter of Pharaoh. It worked. When she saw the child, she took him under her care, and without knowing it, hired Moses' mom <laughs> to be the nanny of their child. And then, of course, we think of the widow of uh, Zarephath. In, in the time of the prophet uh, Elisha, there was a drought in the land. The rivers dried up, and there was no harvest, so no flour and no oil. People were dying of hunger. Elisha came to the household of this widow and asked for water and bread. How insensitive of this prophet, right? The lady's got just about nothing. All she had was enough oil and flour to make one bread which she was about to make. And she and her, ch- child, her son were going to eat that bread. And then they were just going to die because there was nothing else. And of course, as a widow at that time, she had nowhere to run to. But in faith, she listened to the prophet and she made that last little bread and gave it to him. And the result is that miraculously that flour and that oil never ceased. It kept on multiplying. And the more bread she made, the more that thing grew. And so the mother, the child, and the prophet were able to survive that famine until the rains came again. But now let us look at two women in different but very real crisis in their family lives. Ruth and Hannah. In the book of Ruth, we find not just a family, but a nation in crisis. There was famine in Israel again during the time of the judges. This family, a husband and and a wife, the wife was Naomi, and his two sons, they moved from Bethlehem to the country of Moab to find food and a better life there. While there, both sons married Moabite women. But within a period of 10 years, while staying in Moab, tragedy struck. We're reading in Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, what happened. Naomi, Naomi's husband, El- Elimelech, died. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Maham and Chilion the two sons also died and the woman Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband how's that imagine being a mother in a distant country foreign country your husband is dead your children are dead and you're sitting with two foreign daughters in law now while we don't know too much about Naomi's family before they moved to Omab, to Moab It is safe to assume that she did her best to care for her family. But when she went with her husband and family in search for food and a better life in Moab, she didn't just leave her hometown Bethlehem. Naomi also left her community and any relationships that had any meaning in her life, she left behind. Many of you or your parents have moved to South Africa from another country. Or, or some of you watching have moved from South Africa to another country. And you may have some sympathy and know how difficult it is to settle in a, in a strange land. Now, in the following 10 years, Naomi would meet grief after grief as, as the family that she'd spent her life nurturing just slipped through her fingers, one after the other. First her her husband, and then her sons. And and this is a woman who, despite her faith, and even despite they've tried everything to help and serve her family, does does not have everything together. Things are falling apart all around her. And to Naomi, this now is the low point in her life. Due to a famine, they went to look for bread in the land of Moab. Now, this is ironical because... Bethlehem, where they were, Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. But there was no bread in the house of bread. And they had to go to another nation to look for bread, Moab. But now she has lost her family. She's a Hebrew widow in a strange land with two Moabite daughters-in-law. And then there was Hannah. Hannah was barren. Living in a society that believed that a woman's sole purpose was to bear and raise children, particularly boys, (laughs) Hannah was reminded daily that she'd failed to live up to her society's beliefs and expectations. And to make matters worse, she lived in a time when the Hebrew nation broke God's principle of monogamy One husband, one wife. And they were practicing, they were following the pagan practice of polygamy. And so her husband had another wife who had children. And this wife who had children kept on mocking Hannah for not having children. 1 Samuel 1.6 says, And her rival, the other wife, provoked her severely. To make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Imagine that, mothers. Not only are you living in a household where you're not having children, but the other person in the household who should be able to understand and offer you some sympathy, you're living on the same roof, for goodness sake, keeps on mocking. Keeps on mocking. Instead of finding compassion... No, she finds mockery. And then, of course, her husband. (laughs) Instead of finding support from her husband, she was made to feel guilty for not being content. Now, listen, let's let's face it, guys. It is true that many men are pretty dense when it comes to understanding women's emotions, right? Okay. Listen to what this guy says. 1 Samuel 1.8. Then Elkanah, that's the husband. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? (laughs) Imagine, in in a culture which looked down on barren women. his comfort is to come to her and say, come on, baby, why are you crying? You got me, I'm better than ten boys. Oh man! God forgive them. And if if that wasn't enough, she goes to the temple to pray, and that's the cherry on the cake. She's praying, she's crying, she's sobbing, but but she's praying quietly. She's not praying out loud, so she's just there before the Lord, crying, lips are moving, and she's weeping. And the priest, okay, another man, I suppose, okay, does not get it. He looks at her, and let me read to you. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, the man of God, the sensitive male servant of God, thought she was drunk. Obvious, right? If a woman is in the temple with her love trembling, she's got to be drunk. Oh, goodness. And so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put wine away from you. Uh, imagine that, ladies. Being in that position. Now, these in these stories I've shared with you, we, we don't have examples of of mistakes to avoid or disasters to prepare for or or, or five steps to better parenting. Rather, through Scripture, God shows how he cares for mothers in spite of the messiness of life because life can get messy sometimes, sometimes to a deeper degree, sometimes to a lighter degree, but life can be messy. And no matter how frantic, frazzled, embittered, or desperate they may be, God shows his care for these mothers. In showing this care for the mothers, God invites us to come alongside women, struggling or not, and to help them to lighten their burdens and release them from unwarranted shame. As you read further in the book of Ruth, you find Naomi sad and despondent. She decides to release her widowed daughters-in-law to go and marry again in their own land, and she would go back to her land, to Bethlehem. One of the daughters in law decides to stay in her own land, but Ruth is totally dedicated to Naomi and returns home with her. In Bethlehem, Ruth meets Boaz, a Jew, who marries her and gives her a child and looks after Naomi. <laughs> Naomi's joy is restored, and she's given grandchildren. What is more, their child, Ruth's child, is Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, <laughs> okay? And so what started as a tragedy to Naomi resulted in her grandchildren being in the lineage of Christ, of Messiah, <laughs> And Ruth and Boaz are included in the genealogy of Jesus. You can read their names there in Matthew chapter 1. And now, you know, only God can do this. Now, now consider this. Why did Ruth follow Naomi? Why did Ruth make that bold confession in chapter 1 of Ruth? I, I think you've already it before. It goes like this. Ruth looks at Naomi when Naomi wants to go back and tells them to stay. Ruth says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Sure. And when you die, I will die. And there will be buried. What causes a woman from a pagan nation to say that to Naomi and to be ready to follow her God? Ruth would never have said this if she hadn't witnessed examples of faith in some way in her brief marriage. She would not have trusted Naomi's God if she hadn't seen evidence of God working in Naomi's life before and after the death of Naomi's husband and of the sons. And so, although Naomi felt hurt, empty, and a failure when she returned to Bethlehem, God did not see that in her at all. And in spite of all that she felt, God went ahead and restored her and blessed her. Amen? Hallelujah. And what about Hannah? Well, Eli recognized his mistake, and he blessed Hannah. She became pregnant and gave birth to Samuel, who became a great prophet and facilitated the transition of Israel into a kingdom. Although Hannah was deemed a failed, sinful woman by her culture's standards, her faith in God never wavered. Instead, shall allowed God to use her grief to draw her into a deeper place of trust, one where she could entrust the life that she had so long prayed for. She was willing to trust God with her son for safekeeping. Hannah, who had been mocked, was vindicated, her dignity was restored, and she became the mother of one of Israel's greatest prophets. Hallelujah. Amen. Only God, guys. In his letter to the church of uh, Ephesus, Paul tells husbands to make it a priority to show love for their wives. If you're a married man, look for areas where your wife is struggling to find balance in her life and find ways to support her. If you're a dad, offer to help her practically with the kids, giving her some time to care for herself. Most of all, pray for her, that she'll see herself as God sees her, precious and beloved and worth sacrificing everything for. Love her as Christ loves the church. It it is amazing, you know, in that chapter 5 of Ephesians. The wife is not asked to lay her life down for the husband. But the husband is asked to lay his life down for the wife. And sometimes husbands, we forget this. We think the woman is there to serve us. Now we are there to serve each other. But there's a little bit more weight on your shoulder, husband, than there is on her. I think she's got enough being a wife to put up with you and then being a mother to nurture and carry life. Remember, when, when, when you guys prepared, when you guys generated life, you had pleasure, man. She had nine months of suffering. Let's not forget that. And let's honor our wives as wives and as mothers. Amen? Amen. To those of us who have mothers, and especially to the the younger people, teenagers, and so on, remember this. Even though Jesus was by all rights, listen, Jesus was what? The Son of God incarnate, becoming man. So by all rights, Jesus was superior to Mary and to Joseph, yet he still trusted them and obeyed them. He did as he was told. So kids, let's remember that. He did this because of his love for his heavenly father and because of his love for his parents. Luke chapter 2 verse 51 and 52 says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Hmm? His mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Well, how can you honor your mom today as Jesus did with Mary? Families are how God has chosen to work in our world. God proclaimed that it was through Abraham's family that he would use that family to redeem the world. God sent his son to live in a family. He trusted Mary and Joseph with Jesus. God proclaims that we, as a church, we are family. And then the family, not the individual, the family is the base unit of the kingdom of God. So none of this is intended to be done alone. We have to do this together, as family, as groups of people. Motherhood is not a road that is meant to be walked alone. We, as families and as a church, have a privilege and a responsibility to come alongside mothers and women who long to be mothers to encourage, to lift up, and offer physical help as needed. Amen? So, mothers, every mother in the house, every mother watching or listening, listen. God loves you. Come to Him for courage, for wisdom for physical, emotional, and spiritual strength. Husbands, let us make it easy, as easy as possible, for our wives to be wives and mothers. Church, listen, let us be a welcoming, accepting, and encouraging community to the women, to the wives, and to the mothers that we know. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And mothers, may you have a wonderful Mother's Day further. All right. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like to pray for all the mommies. Those who are here, those of you watching, I want to make a special prayer for you. Now what's going to happen is I'm going to pray for the mothers just now. I'm going to ask every mommy in the house to stand up. And I'm going to pray for all the mommies. And then we're going to close the service. And I'm going to say bye bye to you guys watching online. But mothers in the house, please still stay standing. There's something more for you. Okay? All right. Okay. Let us, let all the mommies please stand. Not everybody, just the mommies please uh, stand. Remain standing. Hallelujah. And mommies watching, mommies listening, this prayer is is for you too hallelujah father god i thank you lord for every mother in the house every mommy standing lord god thank you for every mommy watching every mommy listening right now we honor these precious women today my god thank you for having used them as vessels to nurture and to bring a life into this world I pray a a blessing upon them that as mothers and grandmothers, they'll continue to be under your favor, under your grace under your wisdom, to continue their work, Father God, whether little children or older children or grandchildren. Father, thank you for your wisdom upon them. Grace, honor, strength, spiritual, physical, mental, hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, emotional. Father, strengthen these precious women, my God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen, and amen, and amen. May the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us as we continue serving the Lord with all our heart. Amen. Thank you for joining us, all of you online. See you again next Sunday. God bless you. Amen.